You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. Lord, I'm tired of being shot. I fell in what I thought was love with a married man at a very young age. I was 12 and he was 22. I don't choose or condemn you for your beliefs. We got people of all nationality that, that's qualified to run this country way better than the last motherfucker we had. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today's guest is someone that I've been fascinated with ever since I heard her as a guest on Mark Marin's WTF podcast in 2014. Her story absolutely blew me away. Patricia Williams, better known as Ms. Pat, is a hilarious stand-up comedian, actor, author, and podcast host who has been making audiences flip out with her totally original storytelling style for over 20 years. Her one-hour stand-up special, Y'all Want to Hear Something Crazy?, directed by Robert Townsend and produced by Wanda Sykes, premiered on Netflix in February to critical acclaim, Her 2017 memoir, Rabbit, was named one of Amazon's best biographies of the year. And now she's gearing up for season two of her BET Plus sitcom, The Ms. Pat Show. I cannot wait to talk to her all about it and so much more. Welcome, Ms. Pat. Yay. Hey, thank you. (laughs) I like to start all of my interviews by asking our guests about their early lives. But usually that is sort of like a quick thing that we do to just sort of get warmed up with you. It's especially important because you overcame just a tremendous number of obstacles growing up in Atlanta before you found your way to stand up comedy when you were 30. Talking about those challenges that you overcame really helped you survive and thrive as a performer once you decided to open up about the realities of your early life on stage. I know there's so much to dig into, but can you give our listeners a general overview of what your life was like before a caseworker suggested you try comedy in 2002? Um, it was just me. I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta. Um, very poor. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, but very poor. You know, I, I dropped out of school in eighth grade, had two kids by a married man, got into selling drugs with the jail, got shot a couple of times, and then turn it all around, child. And here I am now, smiling and laughing, as some people say, all the way to the damn bank. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I mean, I remember when I was hearing you talk about your early life, before you were 30, you had been shot twice and hit by a dump truck once. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners about that? Oh, <laughs> the dump truck was added. It was a pickup truck, but still. Uh, I got shot by my kid's father. And, um, well, maybe and, uh, I was driving to a dump. <laughs> it probably would have if I didn't survive. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I, I, fell in, I fell in what I thought was love with a married man at a very young age. I was 12 and he was 22 and gave birth and just an abusive relationship where he shot me and and then I'm a drug dealer, I get shot again and 
And I remember it was both happened when I was 15. And I was like, Lord, I'm tired of being shot. Can you stop these fools from shooting me? Is there any other thing? And then, bam, I get, you know, my kid's father hit me with the truck because I asked for something different other than a bullet. And so <laughs> you got to be careful what you ask for. So, I mean, it was rough in the beginning, but in the end, you know, I look back over my life and I'm, I, I have two beautiful, two beautiful kids from that relationship that went on to, to do so many things that I wish I could have done as a kid. You know, they graduated, they went to prom, they went to college, they turned out pretty dang good. And so, um, you know, I got married uh, probably over 20 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm lying. I'm almost 30 years old. <laughs> Been married a long time. I got married a long time ago to somebody that knew how to treat me and had two other kids and they're all grown now too. So at the beginning was rough. I tell people all the time, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Absolutely. And you finished all the way to the bank, just like you said. <laughs> you know, I think that you are the very perfect comedian for 2022 because everyone is so socially maladjusted and sick and weird and fucked up after years of COVID. I, f- I feel like everybody I know is quitting their jobs and they're quitting their relationships and everybody's falling apart. Nobody even knows how to put on pants and leave the house anymore. Um, you are the resiliency comic. Like you are the comic who like took like just like terrible times and made them unbelievably funny. So I feel like you are the perfect comedian for this time. Where people were so, you know, oh my God, it's COVID. What are we going to do with, I, excuse my French, bitch, I was born in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if, it wasn't, if, if it wasn't no pandemic to the world, it was a pandemic to me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and people just, it's like, it's, this generation of people do not know how to handle stress. They don't. They, I mean, they. oh, my God, I've never seen so many people so quick to give up on life at, at such a young age. You know, I read, the, I read the paper and you see, you know, a 10 year old committing suicide. You're like, something is wrong with this world. You know, and I'm thinking, like, I had two kids at 15. <laughs> you think you got it rough. It's, it's, I just think society have made it where instead of like, where back in the day where kids would have to go out in the morning and work before they go to school and just build the kids to be a better character. We, the world, parents have just started to give the kids everything so they don't know how to handle nothing, nothing. I mean, I work with a 26-year-old that I created a show with, and sometimes I look over and say, really? You think that hard? Let me have a conversation with you. So, and they can't take on five six things at one time there this world knows nothing about multitasking you cannot give a young person two things to do it will not get done they will <laughs> faint and fall in the floor <laughs> you know you you've talked about um i believe on your show as well as in your comedy about how you had two sets of kids and your first sets of kids like had a, a similar like struggle growing up you know you had two kids by the time you were 16 you were orphaned when you were 16 so the three of you all sort of grew up together and then you were raising your sister's kids in a very different you know sort of like suburban environment um so what is it like having sort of two sets of kids with very different experiences like you were talking about how kids today like can't are not resilient like do you have more resilient older kids than younger kids 
Well, I've, I've raised the first two. They call it Medicaid kids and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shear kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, and those were the kids by my husband, but I did get custody of my sister kids uh, like at 18. 17, 17, I got her four kids. So I'm off. Here I am with six kids and just got into a relationship. At 17. At 17. (laughs) So I say, I always say the Blue Cross Blue Shear kids a little bit more, uh, in the beginning, not so much exposed to what, because they don't know the drug dealing path. The, blue, the Medicaid kids know the drug dealing mama being shot at ducking. They saw all the crimes. The blue Crow Blue Shield kids, they had the daddy in the household, the suburban area. No real struggles. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it must be so so different having all these different experiences within the same home. You're, that's part of your sitcom that is like sort of the basis of your sitcom. You're currently shooting season two of your sitcom, The Ms. Pat Show. Just which wrapped is, it. You just wrapped shooting. How did it go? It was great. We're getting ready to go at another 10. Amazing. Um, the show is based on your experiences. As you say, you're a former convicted felon turned suburban mom. You moved from Atlanta to Indiana, and that I'm sure was a culture shock. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking around my neighborhood in Plainfield, Indiana. I was like, I thought white people aren't supposed to be in the courtrooms. <laughs> it was very shocking. But, you know, in the end, it turned out to be such a great neighborhood. School says they was very supportive of me. I was scared out of my dang mind moving into this neighborhood that I had never experienced in my life before. You know, this show is super legit. It's produced by Lee Daniels and Brian Grazer, heavy hitters. And when it first came out on BET Plus last year, so many of your fans tried to download it at once that you almost crashed the internet. Um, tell me what it's like having your real life experiences remade and rewritten and repackaged as entertainment. Like it's one thing to talk about your life on stage, but mm-hmm. to act it out with you playing yourself and actors playing your family, it just sounds totally surreal. You know, some because t- a lot of the language come from my um, come from my real life. So my first year acting, it, it kind of messed me up because they would take the words or the conversation that I had with my real husband. I had to have it with this TV husband. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then you start to connect to that person. And I'm like, wait a minute now. And so I would tell the writer, the head writer, I was like, no, we got to pull some of this mess back until I learn how to. To, to deal with it all. So it was, it, it was, and then you didn't, sometimes I forget that those are not my kids on the show. So when <laughs> I see them out, and if they drinking, I'm like, why, why are you drinking? They was like, I'm grown. I was like, oh. <laughs> 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 so just stuff like that. I had to, it, it, you know, first season was rough for me because as a comedian and not, you know, I'm not a trained actress. I learned to act because they paid for it. It was, I had to learn a lot with emotions, how to deal with them. Yeah. You know, that, that's such, that's so interesting. I didn't think about the fact that they would make you go to acting class. I had to go to acting classes in college. I elected to, and there was a lot of like digging into your actual personal trauma 
to be mm-hmm. able to, to telegraph that on screen. Like I, it's really difficult for me to imagine someone who has more personal trauma than, than you might have. Like I, was that uncomfortable or weird or difficult when they might've asked you to do that in terms of like, to become an actor? Well, they sent me to acting classes for over a year and a half. And um, I still didn't really get what acting was until I hit that flow and started hearing stuff that happened in my real life. And then, you know, the more you do it, anything you hope to become at it. And then, you know, one thing that they said, acting is acting is acting and you react. And then all of a sudden you start feeling these people. And I'm like, uh, what the heck is going on? But that's what makes it seem so real to the people outside. Like you have to challenge things to make it for the chemistry to work. Mm-hmm. Like I because like the 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 this show who plays Tammy Roman. And I would ask them, what do y'all challenge when you when you're talking to me? You know, because you have to pull something out of your real life to feel that. And so for, I learned from dealing with Tammy Roman is to pull from my real sister. So that gives me real reaction to her about how I feel when she do crazy stuff. And the same thing with the daddy. You know, I had, I, I had to make balances there. Like, you know, I can't react like my real husband, but I need to act like I'm talking to my real husband so I can react the right mm-hmm. way. So those are the things I had to learn, yeah. which was hard. You know, like we did an episode, I think in the first season and where he went to counseling and uh, I had to give him a motivational speech inside the council office. But those are things that I really did with my husband. And I walked away like three times. I, like, I don't want to say this to this man. Oh, oh shit. And Kim Fields directed the She said, get your ass in there and I'm going to show you what to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> If you need someone to show you, Kim Fields would be the one. I would follow Kim Fields to the end of the earth just because of living single. For real. Yes. What can we expect from season two? And do you know yet when the episodes come out? I don't, sometimes July, August, I hope. Uh, Season two is off. Season two is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one thing about this show, we really try to touch on real topics. Um, and, and, and a lot of times the real topic is, is how I would deal with it or how I dealt with it to even bring it to the stream for everybody to see. And one of the things is trauma behind black hair. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Well, that's of very relevant hair. right now. With, yeah, know, with Jada, with Jada Gate. Well, it's like, well, it's, before well, it's always relevant, relevant, but. Well, it's, it's, it's not even dealing with like, alopecia is dealing with like you know when when we as a kid when you get called nappy headed or you tender headed mm-hmm. people don't know where that starts from so that's like mental abuse right out the back that probably your parents black parents don't even know that they you, you getting that they're giving you so we did a great episode and it dealt with that with my real mother I don't want to give it away and, but it's so touching, and I think a lot of people are going to be able to understand, especially Black women in this country who watch it. So um, I just think, you know, that was that's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, we got some fun stuff, too. Um, another episode is a, a, a funny but heavy molestation episode. That's uh-huh. true to me. So that's well, I mean. 
the father of your children, like was you were 12 and and he was 22. So if anybody's going to address it, it should be you. Yeah. And and this time it's not even about him. It's about something totally different. (laughs) Tune in to find out. I know. You're going to have to tune in. (laughs) We hit a big on the Miss Pat show. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like your show is is probably going to open people's eyes to a lot of things that like large swaths of the country have absolutely no experience around. And I think that that's important, which sort of brings me to my next question. I, I mentioned at the top of the show that I first found out about you by listening to you being interviewed on Mark Marin's WTF podcast. You said so many riveting things during that interview, but one comment you made that I remember so clearly was white people make me nervous. I've committed a bunch of crimes. I'm talking about the hood. You can't relate. That was something that you said in 2014. And since then, your star just continues to rise because you're actually relatable to all sorts of people. Can you tell me how your relationship with white audiences and just sort of like your fan base in white America may or may not have evolved over the last 20 years? I don't understand that question. Yeah, that's all right. How how did my fan base? You know, like, like you said that at the time in 2014, that white people make you nervous. Because you committed a lot of crimes. Like, how do you feel about us now? (laughs) Well, you know, let let me say this. Um, I was taught, a lot of this stuff or shit is instilled in you. It comes from your your home. Mm -hmm. You know, hatred and prejudice and being racist, that shit is taught. You're not born like that, right? Mm -hmm. So as a black kid, my mama told me one of the most dangerous things you can never tell a black child, white people is better than you. Never look them in the eye and they're the devil. So I grew up my whole life. Hold on. Hold on one second. I got to let the kids in and tell me shit. Hell Stop ringing the bell. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Things are getting real at Shame Miss Pat. <laughs> ringing the bell like she's crazy. <laughs> Can you hear this car honking outside or no? No, so, I can't. Um, okay. So... Wild out there. One of the, you know, my mama taught me that uh, white people are better than you. Never look them in the eye, and um, uh, they're the devil. So I grew up my whole life thinking this about a race of people who hadn't done shit to me. And there was a lot. Of, all white people ain't like that. So when I moved to Indiana, it made me open my eyes more. Audience started to turn white, and I I couldn't understand why they liked me because I thought. Only, you know, black people experience that kind of stuff. That's what they show you on the news. Uh, TV in the black home, when I was coming up, white people had a perfect, we the motherfuckers that was struggling in America. So that is what I took on until I became a comedian. And I realized we all have the same problems in this country. You know, we all have the same problem. Only different is, is we our skin color. It's poor white people like it's poor black people. It's rich black people like it's rich white people. And so I had to realize that these continue to grow with a little bit of everybody now. I think because they like, because I'm open, I'm open-minded. I try to be as honest, honest, honest as possible. You know, like when this whole thing was going around where you don't talk to a Trump supporter. And I had to tell people, 
My dentist was a Trump supporter. My neighbor was a Trump supporter. That doesn't make you a bad person. What makes you a bad person is when you harm people. This is America. I don't want you to think I'm a bad person because I went out and voted for the first, first black president or I'm a Democrat. That's what makes this country so great. You get to vote and choose and do whatever the hell you want. So why am I going to hate you? Because I think the person that you support is an idiot. We can still be friends. We just don't have to talk about what your belief is. That's what how I think. And I think that's why people follow me because they or they or they support me no matter what race they is, because if you're not hurting people and it's just your opinion and how you vote, I can still deal with you. I mean, it's like your aunt house who can't cook. You know the bitch can't cook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just how, I mean, I try, because I don't want anybody to call me stupid and ignorant for my choices or hate me for what I choose to. Like, I, I and I, I will put it out there because I don't give a fuck. I don't stand for the national anthem because of all the mess that we went through with Colin Kaepernick and all of that mess. Right. But you don't hate me for it. It doesn't mean no. I don't love being American. It don't. And, and if you go back and Google the National Anthem, they took all that racist mess out of it. I'm not standing for it. I mean, I was, I was at the Super Bowl one time. This man hit my friend on the back of the head. You're not going to stand. I said, you got one more time to put your hand on my friend. I'm going to beat your fucking ass. Yeah. This is America. How you know we ain't handicapped oh. while we ain't standing? Yeah, absolutely. So that's how, you know, that's how I look at it with my family. I think that it, it's grown a lot because people like that. I'm honest about what I say, and, and I don't choose or condemn you for your beliefs. Now, mm -hmm. I choose to condemn you if you do something wrong, but not for voting, not for no religion, not for no color of your skin. That just ain't me. Right. Fun fact, I also got flagged for not standing for the national anthem throughout elementary school. People <laughs> wanted to throw stuff at me because I, I thought that it was a, a white supremacist nation. And I wouldn't stand. Well, let me tell you what I said. I said, why are we fighting a real damn flag? Come on, let's be honest. It's made in China. Nobody got a real American <laughs> right? flag. You don't even want to pay $100 for the real flag that made by some little old white woman over here in her garage. You don't want to pay that money. It took her two years to make that bitch. <laughs> and it's it just, and it, it, I mean, are we that serious about a cloth? Yeah. You know, is that, I mean, that, that, that you, that you want to disrespect or harm somebody? You know, I, people, I used to have this bit about, I don't get mad when I see white Confederate flag. They bought that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want nobody get mad when they see me with something I, they don't like. They bought that. Let them fly, child. It can't, like, again, it came from China like this did. Okay? <laughs> they don't know what it's made of. Those people probably pissed on that thing before it got to America. And <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> They probably did. <laughs> I feel like there's some stories that you tell that are really very, they're, they're very vivid in the way that they describe the grim realities of growing up poor and black in the South. And the way you tell them is so revolutionarily funny that sometimes it gives me like a moment wondering whether white audiences should be laughing. Like, how do you negotiate those moments when white laughter towards black poverty might get a little uncomfortable or does it? I don't, <laughs> it don't get uncomfortable for me because I think uh, 
poverty is across the board. And I think the reason why the white audience is laughing, if it wasn't them, they know somebody that looked like them that, that's there. Everybody yeah. knows somebody poor. I mean, right. even at the very top, got a poor relative somewhere in America that they know when they was growing up or, or you know, or they known about. So that's why they can laugh. So, I mean, that's personally how I look at it. Uh-huh. So when you're laughing, I don't look at people laughing at I mean, I look at people being able to relate to what I'm saying. Or or if, you, if you're not very familiar with being poor in America, I, they give you that time to come to my world. And not just to laugh at me. And I tell a couple of white people, I'm about to take you on a Negro field trip. With the stories that I tell, I think a lot of times people don't believe the stories like, you know, like uh, that happens to, to poor black people in this country or how black people is treated different from white people in this country. And then when I'm on stage telling my story and it hits home for a lot of people, they're like, Oh my God, I've heard about this shit in the mirror in, in, in the news, but this is actually somebody standing in my face that actually went through it. And a lot of times people mouth like, and I'm like, shut your mouth and close you. I need you to op- shut your mouth and open your mind because it's funny. Yeah. Because I was dying of the, 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 the baptism scam mm-hmm. when you showed up the led to one. And I mean, just scammers get me, man. I laugh about scams all day. I don't think, I think everybody, well, I know a lot of scammers. So I guess I was just like, I guess they pitched doing this shit. That, that was hilarious showing up, but. Well, thank you. I, she's talking about the baptism scam when my mom would take us to be baptized so many times on a Sunday. I was like, oh. Oh my God, but you was so crazy, which I wish I would have told. She never got baptized, but she was getting, getting <laughs> she all never- ass dipped like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> because every time you got baptized, they gave you like whatever money, money or they stuff. Gave her money and food. Yeah, pantry food. I mean, I'm here for it. Because I'm it's the type genius. of person that when I get invited to a press event, I take Tupperware in the purse, you yeah. know. I do not roll without Tupperware if I'm going to see, a free thing. And see, she will be considered white trash. But to me, you're smart. You're getting lunch for work tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> if you think we make a lot working at Bust Magazine, you're wrong. We need that Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. go to parties now. I was at this fancy party and they had these little steak sandwiches and I could not stop eating them. And it was like, you everybody got their little stomach tucks and they bought booties here in the lab. I was like, oh, fuck this. I'm about to eat these steaks. Girl, I was so full. I got on the scale the next morning. I had gained like five pounds. I said, but baby, them steak sandwiches they had was worth it. When I go to a party, I figure out the exit that the food comes out of so I can stand closest to it. And we were at some really fancy like SNL party or something. And Keenan was across from me. He had found the entrance too. And we just kind of looked at each other. We were like, we know. (laughs) You and Keenan were both both (laughs) scamming the food when it came out nice. Yeah, because if you stand on the other side of the room, the tray is empty before it gets to you. Got to be closest to the door. Yep, yeah, you're right. So I will be standing by the door too. We'd all <laughs> been in the same, same line. Speaking of wanting to get all the food, 
one area where my lived experience and yours definitely intersects is when you talk about shopping for plus size clothing, which I've been doing for my 100% entire life. I loved it so much in your Gotham Comedy Club set when you said, who told Lane Bryant that fat girls like wildlife prints on their clothes? I'm walking (laughs) through the mall with my polar bear shirt and leopard prints. And did you know that security had the nerve to try to tranquilize me? (laughs) Which is how I feel in my leopard print Lane Bryant coat every day. That made me laugh so much because shopping at Lane Bryant is like a nature special all the time. But you looked incredibly foxy and great and not at all Lane Bryant in your new Netflix special. Y'all want to hear something crazy. So I need to know, where are you shopping now? Because I want to go to there. Well, I would tell you, so from, from that Gotham set to now, I have something called a stylist. <laughs> Child shit has changed. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I don't know where she's shopping. Bring back all of these fly items and she dressed me for the show. And you could just, I mean, it is such a relief because I uh. hate shopping for myself. I don't, I don't, you like going to these little finds and she bring back the cutest item and i would tell you for a plus size woman you should really look into macy's this chick named nina parker okay and, uh she, she makes some fly beautiful stuff for plus size women nina parker oh my god she is the bomb and i've wore a few of her items on the show and she's uh she sent a few of her items like for me to go to parties in i love me some nina parker baby Thank you for that hot tip. I need to dress like you every day. It's a dream. It's a wish. It's a goal. <laughs> well, thank you. But yeah, I have something called a stylist now. I've came a long <sighs> way. No more of the more raggedy wigs. And <laughs> you look immaculate every every time. I would love thank to talk to you about now uh, your oldest daughter, because she mm-hmm. figures so prominently in your work and in your story. Um, just for some background for our listeners, you had your daughter when you were 14, I believe, um, mm-hmm. against all odds. And despite the fact that you had no parents and you had two kids by the time that you were 16, you made sure that your daughter got an education. She was the first person in your family in three generations to graduate high school. She went on to get a college degree as well, which must have been just huge for you. Uh, but you went to college. Yeah. Yeah. But in your Netflix, yeah, spe- oh, she went to college. Well, <laughs> well she I do have a guy. My other daughter has three degrees. Damn. Oh, well, she is enough for everybody in yeah. the family. It's like, I'll take yeah. all that. <laughs> in your Netflix special, you also talk quite a bit about how your daughter came out as gay and how that wasn't something that was easy for you to accept right away. I, I think that your frank and very open discussion about changing and growing in order to accept your gay child for exactly who she is, is just incredibly important for people to hear right now, especially for certain segments of your fan base who weren't raised with tolerance around homosexuality. I'm just wondering, have you had feedback from your fans about how your willingness to love and accept your gay daughter may have helped other people do the same thing with their own families? Well, I had to learn that um, I love my daughter more than um, more than I love my daughter unconditionally, and I had to let her sexuality go because it's not it's not me, it's her, and I didn't want to lose my daughter because I think because she didn't choose the way I wanted 
and her to choose. So, and I tell parents all the time, because I get people email me all the time or inbox me about, you know, how to deal with their child who's coming out. And I politely say, mind your fucking business. <laughs> you know, one about is trying to take whatever you was doing out of your mouth when you was doing it. So mind your business. Do you love that person? And I love my child. So I, I had to grow as a parent to realize I can't judge her on that. And hey, be honest with you, she's had some better relationships than me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you said like her girlfriend looks like Justin Bieber, which is like top tier. Well, that was one of them. She, the thing with my daughter is, my gay daughter is, I'm just glad she's gay because if she was straight, she probably have 15 damn kids. So we have a running joke in our family. You have to be with us three Thanksgiving before we will lock your number in our phone. <laughs> Everything before that is trial period. Yeah, baby, because they usually don't last that long. Mm-hmm. Three Thanksgivings. Got it. Three Thanksgiving and a Christmas. Okay. <laughs> That's bonus points. It's next level. <laughs> you know, this is kind of weird, but it's stuck in my head. And I don't even know if you remember this, but I saw a clip of you somewhat re- recently. I think it may have been either from a podcast that you were on or you were, it was from your own podcast, The Pat Down. You were explaining that until you rented Schindler's List, you had never heard about the Holocaust. I think I said it on, uh, I don't know who podcast. Oh, Ari Ar- Shafir podcast first, but I've also said it on mine too. So my brother used to be a cat burglar and he's, he's breaking people's houses. He stole the laser disc. And in the laser disc was this, this movie called The Schindler's. Well, I don't know shit about history. So uh, I started dating my husband at the time and I, we watched it. And we was like, why do you, why do you sit there and get just getting shot? You know, I'm from the hood. When you hear fucking gun go off, you run. So when, I, when I'm dating my husband, I say, hey, you want to look at this movie? These white people getting shot down. And he's like, oh, sure. And so I pop in Schindler's and he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, ain't they crazy? He's like, Pat, that's the Schindler's. I'm like, what the fuck is the Schindler's? And he was like, it's history. I'm like, who history? And he was like, it's the, Jew- it's the Jewish people history. And I was like, oh my God. So the way, he- and I'm and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to my husband, like, they're just getting sh- shot. Won't these dumbass white people run? Not thinking, what- didn't know it was real. Did not know it. My husband said to me, they said, let me tell you something. That's fucking real. And I was like, oh my God. No wonder they wasn't running. And he explained to me in this camp and, and da-da-da. And I was like, you mean to tell me I've been watching this shit laughing? Didn't know it was real. So it's it's, it's so, so amazing to me because I'm Jewish. And I don't know if you know that Jews are like so obsessed with the Holocaust. Like I didn't even know that it was possible not to have like documentary footage of crematoriums shoved in your face between like Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. Cause that's my experience that like, I didn't have a choice about whether or not I wanted to know about the Holocaust. Like that stuff was in my face as a small child. So when I found out that you had never heard of it before, like part of me was like, oh, I wonder what that must be like. That's like a nice other reality. Well, I was mine. too busy dealing with roots. We grew up watching roots. Exactly. Right. We had our own fucking history to worry about. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't think uh, the Holocaust is big in history, but I don't think it was big as slavery because it happened somewhere else. You know, slavery was big in this country. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Time-wise, like one was a short slaughter and the other lasted decades. 
I shouldn't really say short slaughter, but comparatively time wise. Can we just agree yes. that they were both really horrific and, and they were both really bad and they happened at different times and yes. different people. Well, one happened about longer them than the other. You're absolutely right. One happens a lot longer than the other. You're absolutely right. I'm wondering, like, are there things from your upbringing that are fundamental as fundamental to you as the Holocaust was for me that I might have absolutely no idea about? Um, I don't understand the question. What, like I was just thinking, and there might not be an answer for this, but I was just thinking because like, I, I cannot remember a time in my entire life when I haven't known about the Holocaust because I'm Jewish, that are there things about your life that you cannot even remember a single moment in your life that you didn't know about this thing that I might not have any idea about at all. Now you might not have anything. I like I might not know about at all, but that is like Mm. very fundamental to your life experience that I wouldn't know about. Um, Did you hear about the uh, black wall street? Yes. Yes. But I don't know. I don't know as much about it as probably you do or as much as I should. What, that, that, well, yeah. There was a really I, good theory about it. I think somebody's making a movie about it now. I, I think, you know, I would say this in America. It's like, and I tell people all the time this, when you're Black in America, you have to know about everything and everybody. When when don't you really don't have to know anything about Black America because we the one trying to survive in this white world. So right. we have to be up on so many other things, you know, when, when, when I tell people, you ever heard of um, Black Wall Street? I don't know, what the hell is Black Wall Street? Well, you, well, it was there until even, it was gone. Even little st- well, even little, st- the ladies who, uh, uh, not, was it the help? Not the help, uh, the, the ladies who did the thing with the astronauts. Oh, Hidden Figures, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, what pissed me out the most about that movie is growing up Black in America, Things like that, great things like that were kept from little black kids like us to keep us from having hope. Yes. A lot of us had never heard of that. So now when you go and dig in the books and you learn about all these different things, like, God, welcome to the racist America. Yeah, I had never (laughs) heard of those women in Hidden Figures either until the movie. Until the movie came. And and I'm black in America and I had never heard of those things a lot of things look at them this whole race theories they try not to teach kids they don't they don't want to make white america kids uncomfortable because if they're really telling the history of the ancestors they'll figure out that oh my ancestors were some shitty people that doesn't mean your parents (laughs) are shitty people i mean your ancestors were shitty people and what are we going to do about it today to try to make things better for all of us Instead of some old ass white man in Texas who dick don't work, who's gonna tell me I can't have an abortion, sir? Your dick don't even work, so you shouldn't even be able to make a law, okay? What is that children's book they're all pissed off about right now? That's about yeah, it's stupid. Uh, it, I know what you're talking oh, about, but I can't remember what it's called. That they brought like it up so, during the confirmation hearings for yeah, Judge so, Judge Brown Jackson. Book that's about not being racist and they're saying that it's about teaching there's some fucked up shit I Crit- I critical race um, theory I think I they call I history think I critical race theory because they're just trying to like yeah, scare white people so it was just like a regular book so you want to say it's not real people just bat shit about how they threaten people with the term critical race theory they're like think that they're just erasing 
it erases other history. It's just called well, learning they history. Erase history. They need they yeah. want to erase history. Learning real history and people can't handle it. Well, they want to erase real history. They don't want their their white babies knowing how fucked up this world is. I mean, look, they just literally passed a no lynching bill. Who the fuck is running around here hanging black people or people in general? You know what I'm saying? Why did it take you this many fucking years to pass a no lynching bill? Because it's, let me tell you, and I don't even want to get on the term of race, but let me tell you how fucked up America is. Whenever you hear America say the first black anything, motherfucker, we've been around since the start of time. Why is it the first black anything? Why do we just get our first black? Pre vice president as a woman and our first black president in all of these years when it's so many people before them that was qualified because American racist. Welcome to America. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it bothers me. That burns my fucking skin when I hear you say the first black anything. It shouldn't be the first black nothing. It should be the first black Chinese. I mean, the first Chinese, the first Asian. It should be none of that. If we was equally cared about each other equally in this country, we shouldn't have no 40, 30, 40 some white president right. just now getting a black one. We got people of all nationality that, that's qualified to run this country way better than the last motherfucker we had. Mm-hmm. Miss Pat, are you a feminist? I have to ask my daughter, I'm a feminist. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm open-minded. Uh -huh. <laughs> you mean girl power, right? Well, here, I'll tell you what I mean. I feel like feminism often has like a PR problem. People don't necessarily know what I mean when I say feminist or what anybody means. Mm -hmm. But the definition of feminism is that men and women should have all of the same rights and privileges in society. And... As of this moment when I'm speaking, men and women still are not treated equally in this country. And so when we're not treated equally, we should speak up and say, hey, men and women should be treated equally in society. And that is feminism. I, I'm a little feminist there, I, I guess. Yeah, we should be treated equally. Because I, I was just telling somebody this the other day, hey, they can't do what we do. They can't have no fucking baby breastfeed, sell dope, and go get a nine to five. They can't do all of that. One of those labor pain would literally knock them off their feet. I think my daughter's more feminist than I am. I mean, I, I think every woman should have a right to do the fuck she want to do. Uh, I ain't going to say everything we do, I'm going to be pro one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do have to sit back and say, no, that ain't for you. <laughs> I mean, but as far as pay, we should be paid equally if the woman is just as good as the man. Um, um, rights, I'm all down for that. I can't think of nothing right off the top where I would say, nah, that's for a man. But I'm sure it's something out there that we can't say, no, that's for a man. Which my daughter will probably chop my fucking head off for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm, 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 I'm good to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. This is my last question. It's the last question that I ask all of our guests on Pop-Tarts. And it is a pop cultural question, which is, what you watching? I'm talking about movies and books and television and music and music videos and podcasts. If you are consuming it pop culturally, we want to know about it because it is probably very, very cool 
Miss Pat, what you watching? The Miss Pat show. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, I don't do a lot of TV, but uh, I'm into like uh, Queen of the South, uh, Handmaid's Tale. Um, what is that one that come on NBC with that guy? He's a um, the Blacklist. Blacklist. Like I'm into that. Mm-hmm. So I need to really catch up on that. So that's what I'm watching when I can watch. Uh-huh. I've been so up on a rug with the Miss Pat show and then working on creating some other things. And I just did the Netflix special. So I'm trying right. I'm in the middle of writing a whole nother hour. Amazing. So right now, Miss Pat is really watching herself. I love it. And we're watching you too. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank we you, love Claire. everything that you do. You thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Callie and I are going to take the briefest of breaks. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie, you're going to ask me, what you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> scams. I'm Caitlin Bradley Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. (laughs) I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Hey, Pop-Tart listeners, have you been trying to record your own podcast, but you keep getting bogged down by technical problems? Luscious Logan can take the raw recordings of your show, edit and produce them to give them that rich, full body sound that you hear right now. If you have a deep need to express yourself and sound good in the process, reach Luscious Logan LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. That's LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. 
if you want to have that luscious sound. And we're back. Hello, Callie. Hello, hello. We just talked to Miss Pat. She's a legend. She's so hilarious. And now is the time in our program where I ask you because I got to know and I want to know and I absolutely need to know. Callie, what's what you're watching? What have I been watching? Well, you know, I was out of town, went back to Polga for a bit. So I didn't really watch too much TV, but I did between last time we talked, I watched Watch Out for the Big Girls on Amazon Prime, Lizzo's new show. Oh my God, I wanted to see it so bad, but we discontinued our Prime like right before it aired and now I'm full of regret. Dude, you need to just get a screener or something. You would love it. It's So it's 13 plus size dancers competing to go to Bonnaroo with Lizzo. And it is like... I feel like this is what you guys talk about when you talk about the great British British Bake Off and how supportive everybody is because it's like such a vibe. They're all uplifting each other in the competition. Like she always feels bad about like when she has to eliminate people. She like, it's just like the feel good show of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. And you know, it's just like a nice light watch. It's I feel like the mass singer kind of fell off and this is my my replacement. Mm, yeah. Not that I don't still enjoy the mass singer, but it's tickets on. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you see on the mass singer when Rudy Giuliani was on there? No, I'm actually still in the previous season. I haven't I haven't jumped on there yet. But um I, I did see the like just like the still footage of like Ken Jong being like bye bitch. <laughs> he was not having it at all. I love him. Um I've also watched Russian Doll season two on Netflix. And I heard it's not as good as season one. How do you feel? It's not as good. It's very weird. She travels back in time on the six train. Um and Chloe Sevigny plays her mom. So that's cute and all. Cause I know they're, they're like real life besties. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it just wasn't as good. Okay. It's still like, it's still good TV, but this first season was just amazing. And this, maybe it would make more sense to me if I was in a 12 step program. I feel like it really has a lot to do with that. And maybe I'm missing some nuance. Okay, but I mean, I know I've heard from a lot of people that it's not as good. All right, then I don't have to feel so bad. But I mean, I just love her so much. And tell me why people keep, I've had two people, one was first season and one is a high school friend this season say, why do I feel like I'm watching your life when I watch Russian Doll? And I'm like, I don't know, why do you? Um, I was asking my ladies when I was in Polka, I was like, do people just think I... I'm crazy. No, people just or think that you are point. always at a party, that you are just constantly I also at a party. Because I have that gravelly kind of voice going on, that may have a lot to do with it. And because um, my friend Allison was like, oh no, it's just because you're so crass. She's crass. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I've been watching, also a season two that isn't as good as the first was Flight Attendant. Oh. It's still a show, but the first one was so interesting. And this one, she's like, 
has a part-time job at the CIA and there's like a lookalike that's framing her for murder. There's bounty hunters involved. It just, it seems both of these season two episodes seem like they didn't think they were going to get a season two and then they just kind of did something. And then they tried to figure it out. Yeah, that's too bad. I know. I mean, there is hopes for season threes, you know, like sometimes season twos just aren't as great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like like a sequel to a movie. They always tend to suck. So I'm going to, you know, I'll try them with if they come back for threes, but watch out for the big girls. I got to find someone with an Amazon code and get on that. (laughs) Yeah. What have you been watching? Thank you so much for asking. Well, the first thing that I've been at that I've been watching is actually what I've been reading. My friend Susan turned me on to this um, erotica writer named Miracle Jones. And his his, uh, stuff is all free online at miraclejones.com. And so I started reading, you know, out of prurient interest to like reading the smutty stuff. I read this filthy yet erudite story called Sclerofaccio which um, it's from sclera, which means eyes and faccio, which means face. And it's about this like perverted conceptual artist who wants to put googly eyes on everything. And it's funny and weird. Um, And I loved it. But then all of the dirty content on miraclejones.com is just text-based. And I wanted to actually hear Miracle Jones read to me aloud. So I started listening to his collection of mp3 stories that uh were sort of speculative fiction but not erotica um he has these stories that are sort of linked about an automated semi-robotic future all grouped together called tomorrowland and every night before bed this week i've been listening to him read these stories they're so fantastically twisted i feel like when i fall asleep listening to them i wake up a better writer I love them. So if you want like just high quality, super weird fiction, um, both erotic and not erotic, I recommend miraclejones.com. Also, I got an advance of the new Cranberries um, compilation. It's called Stars, the best of 1992 to 2002. And um, it collects all of the hits from the Cranberries five Island records releases. And there's two previously unavailable tracks on there. Um, I just, I can't believe Dolores O'Riordan is dead. Like four years later, I, I know. can't believe it. Her voice just like cuts right through me. She's so much fun to sing along with, but also like nobody can ever match what she did with her voice. Um, I just like, there's just hit after hit after hit. It's amazing. So I recommend Stars the Best of 1992 to 2002 Cranberries compilation. It comes out at the end of this month. Um, and then, of course, just like everybody else in the rest of the universe, I watched Bridgerton season two. Um, I am not one of those people in the rest of the uni- universe. It, it is adorable. Like it is, uh, it was the most watched English language television series on Netflix ever. It had 656 million hours of it were viewed since March 25th. Like <laughs> it's just become like a national obsession. My one and only beef 
with Bridgerton season two is that there was not nearly as much butt steak as there was in season one. Like, I don't know. Like the love interest in this one was Anthony Bridgerton played by Jonathan Bailey. I don't know if his rider had just like a specific amount of butt steak that was capped. Mm. Um, but there was there was just not anywhere near as much hot ass as there was in season one. But that's really my only complaint. There was also just a lot of like, just like so much longing and being like, we can't ever be together. And without a lot of explanation as to why, like I was like, <laughs> but, but why can't you? Why? <laughs> why can't you? Why cannot you take off all of your clothes right now? Um, but you know, they get over it. They figure it out. I, I enjoyed Bridgerton season two. I will continue watching. And that's, that's a fact. Shonda Rhimes knows what she's doing. And the last thing that I've been watching is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page. Yay! We really need your help to keep Bust alive. And hopefully you'll be excited by the goodies we've hooked up for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash Podcast. Callie and I, with help from Team Bust, have been typing up show notes exclusively for Patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all 126 episodes. We've got totally ad-free episodes available. There's exclusive content on there, including an amazing episode that we taped with Big Frida and so much more. Please check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. And finally, I would like to thank our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego, we caliente Logan, and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily. You can email both of us. I'm at Emily Rems at bust.com. Allie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mm-hmm. I like that we do the hands with it, even though it doesn't, it's just sound. Because <laughs> we can see each other and that's what matters. <laughs>